Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello! I am so thrilled, honored, excited to have one of my heroes, Kathy Freston, in the house today on Voice America Radio and Facebook. Kathy, you have come up with this extraordinary new book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, with co-author Gene Stone, who is also a New York Times bestselling author. This I love because look at it, just the compact answers to every single question you can have about veganism, something to hand somebody who might not read a tome that they <laughs> should be reading, but it, it really is the kind of book that works today. Tell us how you got inspired to do this and how you pull this off. How many books have you written now? Uh, hi, Jane. Hi. <laughs> hi. hi. Um, yeah, this is book number nine, actually. And uh, so, so Gene and I are really good friends. We're, we're best friends and we're always looking for a reason to work together. And we thought, you know, there's so many great books on a plant-based diet for health and longevity. There's great books about the ethical reasons. There are great books about how to go vegan and recipe books, but there's not a book that has just all the simple, concise reasons to consider going vegan. And we wrote it in a way that sort of for the ADD mind, like I don't want to read a lot of stuff because I think everybody has so much to read. We're, you know, blogs and posts and, and news, news lines, all this stuff. So we wanted to keep it really simple, bottom line information. And we just, we didn't know how many reasons there were going to be. We thought maybe, you know, 10 good reasons. And we just kept going until the reasons were so compelling that, and we just stopped once it started overlapping and we came out to 72 reasons. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been a thousand and seventy two reasons, but I love the idea of using a number in the title because actually I read this whole book by a former executive at The New York Times talking about how BuzzFeed used scientific methods to figure out what would be clickbait to get people to look at articles. And one of the key things is numbers. If you say 14 reasons why, uh, or in this case, 72 reasons to be vegan, that attracts people. And they've proven that with their algorithms uh, that uh, putting a number in there uh, gravitates people Mm -hmm. to the um, subject matter. And also also brevity, you know, just brevity, just keeping things short and concise and bottom line and to the point. I think that's what BuzzFeed learned also. You've got these, you know, very brief little snippets of information that are easy to digest. And we sort of took that in and and digested all this great uh, statistics and and just put it into one, one easy to read place. Suffice it to say that I get a lot of books. I think this would be perhaps the easiest books at all to give to your veg curious mm-hmm. book, work colleague, friend, neighbor. I would love to see this in every library, in every dentist office waiting room. I think there should be a campaign to get because it's here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can just yeah. you can like. Eggs are not incredible or edible. Like yeah. right there, you yeah. don't need eggs. And the, thing, the thing is, Jane, it's like, a, a, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of vegans and a, a lot of your community and probably people who are here are already on board. They get it for the most part. There are, they're either leaning in or they're there or they're there ethically. Um, but I think vegans are people who are in this, this uh, sphere are almost expected to be experts on environmental science, on uh, medical stuff, health, longevity, um, animal intelligence. We're expected to know all of these things. And this is a way of saying, uh, when someone says, okay, exactly how does raising animals for food create climate change? I'm confused. And so, you know, as a a vegan uh, advocate, I think it's helpful to say, I I don't remember exactly how, or I don't remember exactly the statistic here. Here's the book, read the book. 
and everything's right there and I don't have to like be a walking, talking data machine. Now, I want to talk about some breaking news. I woke up this morning to this. Yeah. This in the New York Times, which is huge. Now, you travel in these circles. I'm more likely to be running around in flip-flops and shorts, but you go to these glamorous restaurants. This, let me just say, the new menu at 11 Madison Park will be meatless. Mm -hmm. The restaurant will no longer serve meat or seafood when it reopens. Daniel Hum, the the chef, said, quote, the current food system is simply not sustainable in so many ways, end quote, He said, this is in the New York Times, and this is the highly acclaimed restaurant. Um, This is a restaurant that has won many awards. It's the kind of influencer. We have social media influencers. We have Mm -hmm. restaurant influencers. Mm -hmm. Tell Mm -hmm. me about the significance of how this, how big this is, following in the footsteps of um, a a major social media news outlet, which we'll talk about in a second, announcing they are going to drop meat as well. Uh, Take it away. It is huge news. It's It's a sign of the times because when you have major chefs who are not driven necessarily by, uh, you know, uh, their love of animals or or worrying about what happens to animals behind closed doors. They are driven by being creative and appealing to, to their customers with their taste buds. They're artists. These chefs are artists. They really want to create beautiful, delicious, amazing, timely food that's local, that's fresh. And so when someone like the head chef at 11 Park Avenue, they say that they are doing this because they see it as a sign of the times that climate change is happening and raising animals for food is a direct line to creating climate change. And they don't want to be a part of it. They want to be part of the solution. They want to be future oriented. They want to be, um, forward moving. And so this is huge news for all the restaurants in the rest of the world who are sort of just like, well, they don't really have anything plant-based on the menu. This is a wake-up call. Like this is where this is where the culture is going and it's going quickly. And not only do we need to add an item or two to our, our menus, but we need to start thinking in terms of a major transition in the way we think about food, in the way we serve food, consume food, purchase food, not only for our personal health, not only for the animals, but for climate change for the future of our planet. And I think when you get entrepreneurs like this making changes, a lot of other people are going to follow. A lot of other people. And this follows in the wake of Epicurious. Um, This was also in the New York Times. Epicurious has a beef with beef. The popular cooking website will not publish new beef recipes over concern about climate change. Quote, we think of this decision not as anti-beef, but rather pro-planet. Again, it's like daily. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet... Kathy, the institutions that could really help the transition, the U.S. government, not doing much about this at all. If anything, they are the ones keeping the meat dairy industry going. Uh, Dairy is in a tailspin. People are transitioning rapidly to plant-based milks. It is the biggest success story in the vegan space. And yet the U.S. government, we've got, you know, essentially – a man who was the head of a a dairy uh, trade group running the USDA, they have now said, no, we're not going to, because it's become a political issue, Mm -hmm. um, a political football. Now they're saying, no, we're not going to take away your meat. We're not going to. That's the big bottleneck. I I would argue that things are happening behind the scenes that we're not seeing. You've got someone like Cory Booker, uh, and the Agricultural Committee, um, you know, informing other senators and congressmen of what needs to happen. You've got a force like the Good Food Institute who is lobbying to change policies to clear the way for plant-based meats and later on cellular meats. So there are things that are going on behind the scenes, especially with big business. When you have Cargill and Tyson and these big meat companies who are 
who are getting into the non-animal protein space. They're redefining what space they're in. They're no longer calling it a meat space. They're not meat companies, they're protein companies. And they see the future as plant protein. They're eating up these, uh, these uh, sectors and they are incorporating it into their businesses. So, you know, we as the market, as consumers, we are beginning to make demands uh, to our businesses. That's gonna translate, they're starting to shift and government will go along with it. It's sort of a multi-pronged thing that is forcing change. So you are very optimistic, and what you're saying is that there's a lot of PR wars back and forth, but behind the scenes, people in the current administration are aware that this is a problem, and that in 2023, when the food uh, bill, the farm bill, uh, that was a Freudian slip, the, the farm bill is a food bill, uh, comes up that there could be some changes. From your mouth to God's ear is what I say. Now, you just raised a very, very important question. We're going to talk about how uh, the branding of vegan products is changing rapidly. We've got a caller. Uh, Sarah, your question or thought for Kathy Freston, best-selling author and somebody who I just admire so much. I'm so excited to have her on today. Thank you. Sarah. Oh, hi. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for taking my call. I, hi, Kathy. I wanted to say thank you for doing that. It seems like it's kind of like what we've all been waiting for, how to concisely explain why to go plant-based. And I was thinking, would you be able to even make it more concise where they could get it and put it into, I know a lot of people are doing online schools, so put it into, um, get it out to these people that do presentations to schools because it seems like the youth are the ones that are going to listen to this more than anybody. Great yeah, question. Great yes, question. yes. Yeah, that'd be, that's a great idea. I remember when I was in school and, you know, they had speakers come in and they told us about personal hygiene and things like that. And that's stuff that stuck with us for the rest of our lives. And it would be incredible to have uh, influencers go into schools and talk about food and how it causes climate change and how it affects animals, how it affects our personal health. It would be a fantastic thing. Um, but this is the first step, like making this information very easy, digestible, and really getting it out there in a lighthearted way. And that's what Jean and I tried to do with this book because a lot of what we talk about is you know serious it's like how do you reverse type 2 diabetes how do you feed the global poor we're talking about climate change but we're also talking about martinis we're also talking about having good sex we're also talking about how to make your relationships better through eating this way so we really balance out the very serious with the really lighthearted and fun the self-centered stuff and then the big picture stuff and we speak in a tone that is just easy. It's fun. It's light. We don't try to take, we, we never take ourselves seriously. We respect the reader. We respect the consumer because people are their own individuals. So start from there. You are talking and listening to Kathy Freston, multiple New York Times bestselling author, her latest book with Gene Zone, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. And what I love about this, it's super easy to digest, it's very edible, and it breaks down all the questions that someone has about, for example, where do you get your protein, which has become sort of a joke now, which is sort of the knee-jerk reaction to people. We know that there is clean protein. That was a title of another book that you wrote. And um, we're also talking about how the vegan space is really rebranding. We, we've both been vegan for a long time. I remember I used to go into vegan restaurants in LA and the place was empty and I knew everybody because it was the same chef and the same maitre d' and me, the three of us. Now, uh, I can't get a table and I love it. There's nothing that makes me happier. I doubt that you can't get a table. I waiting outside, waiting outside <laughs> with a whole bunch of people who are trying to get into a place. It fills me with joy. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Just like so amazing. Things have changed so rapidly. We've just yeah, talked about what? 
back when you started being a vegan, I bet it was a it was a bowl of rice and beans and salad, right? A lot of sprouts yeah. and things. Yeah. So food has changed too in all that time. And now you've got restaurants like uh, uh, Crossroads Kitchen in West Hollywood, or you know all these amazing places in in uh, in Venice, uh, plant food and wine. You've got places like Eleven Madison, uh, Eleven Park. Madison. So things are changing. Why the clientele is changing, and that's why this stuff is getting really. And busy. yes, and one of the things that's changing is how we're describing veganism, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is psychological. So Impossible Foods has a whole campaign where they have this guy, this Montana rancher, going beef, meat, you love your meat, and then at the end they go made from plants. So they're kind of co-opting the macho yeah. branding and saying it's just new meat. What are your thoughts on that, Kathy? I love it. I think that is the future. And that is if you if you care about animals, which a lot of uh, this community obviously cares about animals and cares about climate change, that is the game changer. Because, you know, I think a ve- it's certainly a lot more people are turning vegan and it's gone up by 600% in the past few years, people who call themselves vegan. So that's certainly growing. But the vast majority of people in the world are going to keep eating meat. They're going to keep wanting to eat meat. And certainly in India and China, where more people are rising up into the middle class and getting wealthier, they're going to want to eat meat. So I totally support these plant-based meats. Impossible, Beyond Meat, uh, Hungry Planet, all of them, I think they're fantastic. They're they're making the way for people to enjoy what they've traditionally loved their entire lives. If you like sausage, if you like hot dogs, if you like a burger, you want some chicken tenders, fried chicken, a Kentucky fried chicken, you can do it all with plant-based stuff. I'm all for it. Finally, McDonald's is getting on board, Burger King. You know, this is a game changer for animals and for the environment. So I think it's amazing. And I'm also really behind cellular meat, you know, cultured meat that is made sort of in a brewery. That's that's the future, that's to come too. And that's that's a big deal, so I love it. Absolutely, and I know it's controversial within the vegan community um, because in some cases they use cellular uh, material from a cow, but I always follow a gene a Bauer, uh, founder of Farm Sanctuary, said, which is whatever causes the less, the least suffering. Absolutely. So that is going to be a huge game changer for um, all sorts of products. Of, yeah. If you think and about cat food, if you totally. think about, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're yeah. also gateway foods. <laughs> it's like if you're newly interested in uh, eating plant-based, and you're used to the standard American diet, you're not going to go to, you know, a grain bowl with beans and kale. It's just not going to happen. But you may go to having a Beyond Burger for dinner and having, uh, you know, a pizza with some day of cheese and some mushrooms the next day. And you're going to see that you start to feel better, that your cholesterol goes down, that you drop some weight. And I think it's it's uh, transitional food that gets you to eat healthier and healthier. So I think it's fantastic. I mean, we can't do everything at once. Progress, not perfection. Now you talked about sex and relationships. What's the 411 on that? Because that will certainly get a lot of people's attention. Yeah. Well, okay. The same thing that lards up our arteries to our heart is what clogs up the circulation to our tender bits. So when we're not eating all that saturated fat and cholesterol that goes along with animal foods, we have better circulation and all the bits work better. So that's the first thing, the mechanics of it, much better. Secondly, you feel better about yourself because you're slimmer or, you know, stronger, whichever thing you want. Your skin looks better. You're feeling, you know, more energy. So you're feeling better about yourself. When you feel better about yourself, you feel better about being in a relationship, certainly having sex, you feel confident. And then there's the thing about just, I really think that when we eat meat, we we eat animals, there's a thing that there's, it's like we have to keep ourselves numb 
from actually connecting the dots. Because if we thought about what we're actually eating when we eat meat, it is a horrendous thing, right? So there's a part of us that we have to keep down, down, down and awareness. But when you stop eating that stuff, there's an opening, like it's almost a heart opening. You're not numb anymore. You're more sensitive. You're more alive. You're more connected to each other, to yourself, to the ecology of life, to animals. You feel this um, connection that feels really alive, crackling alive. And if you're with somebody who's on that journey with you, you know, there's something very incredible about being with a partner who is tenderhearted enough to care about animals and thoughtful enough to care about the global uh, population and, um, you know, climate change. And they're fierce enough and bold enough to go against the grain and just like start eating differently. I think that's super sexy and it's very bonding for a relationship. Well, interesting. We're talking to Kathy Freston, multiple New York Times bestselling author. Here is her latest book. It's great. You can put it in your back pocket. You can have it in your purse and give it to people. I often give books to people who I meet randomly, people who are coming maybe yeah, uh, I've had incredible reactions. A plumber, I had a great conversation I with him. Too. I gave him some books and he was like, uh, it's often often the people you might not expect that are more receptive. And then somebody yeah. say, well, oh, this person uh, would be absolutely receptive and they're resistant. It's very hard to make. And you don't up. know who just got yeah. a diagnosis of, you know, high blood pressure. You don't know who just... Uh, lost someone to a terrible disease and who is now inspired to make the connection between food and health. You know, we don't know that. So I'm the same way. I actually drive around with a box full of books in my car and I always have things handy for, you know, if I, if I meet someone who might have the slightest bit of interest for whatever reason, and that's why we cover all the different things, animal sentience or climate change or health or weight or sex or whatever. Let me ask you about relationships. What if there's somebody who is in a relationship with somebody who's not vegan mm-hmm. and they're vegan and that's often a source of um, friction? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what advice would you give them? Well, I think that uh, we have to respect someone for who they are and how they got to exactly where they are because who they are is a result of every single step along the way in their lives to become exactly where they are. So we have to respect that and not judge that. And and then hopefully you're you're in a relationship with someone who who respects you and wants to see the world through your eyes, has the curiosity about what motivates you, what affects you and vice versa to really understand each other. And to be in, a, in sharing in a way that's, that is um, honoring who someone is. I, I don't think we can clobber someone over the head and expect them to, to change overnight. Because I, I certainly didn't change overnight. If someone tried to clobber me over the head and say, you know, you got to be this way. you got it, it would be like, what? I have to give up everything that I'm used to? You know, so I think it's a matter of respecting someone's um journey and their process and being informative, gently informative and making really good food and, um, and then choosing your partner so that they do have curiosity about you and, and to really take a look at that. If, if they don't have the curiosity to understand what the world looks like through your eyes, it's something to think about. We are talking once again with Kathy Freston, this book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan with Gene Stone. And what's so fabulous about it, it's, it's written for this age. We're in an age where I've even read stories where they can now check through Kindle how many people read a book from cover to cover. And they're tending to read the first couple of pages and the last page and then jump through it. And um, we are becoming a video culture to a large degree. Mm -hmm. So people are thinking in terms of memes. Um, Have you thought of possibly doing uh, memes and maybe short videos for each and every one of your 72 reasons and putting that out on Instagram to drive people to read the book? Because I think a lot of this could be when you have um, a very short topic, then Mm -hmm. it drives them to get this book. 
Because mm-hmm. it's it's really a meme, a meme, a meme, a friendly yeah. book. I love that, and I love hashtag you know hashtag reasons to be vegan or reason to be vegan, and everybody you know everybody shares their reason to be vegan, like you know holding up their you know a chicken that they you know. Yeah have in their on their friend's farm or something or you know the before and after picture of them you know before when they were eating meat and after you know hashtag reason to be vegan so i think that's a really powerful thing now let me ask you this question you say you are optimistic you see the changes we see um a top rated restaurant in new york switching we mm-hmm. see um epicurious saying they're not covering meat but at the same time, unfortunately, um, meat consumption is growing because the human population is growing. I want to get to that in a second, but we got some callers here. Jessica, what is your question or thought for Kathy Freston? Oh, wow. Hello. It's, so, it's such a pleasure to be talking to you. Um, I was part of the Food Revolution uh, Summit, and I heard you speak. And um, prior to you, there was a woman, and she was like, you know, I, I don't, She's like, I don't criticize people or judge them, you know, and, and stuff like that about what their what they, their food choices. You know, I just kind of explain to them, you know, and the way that I feel is like it, it seems to be such a crime because you know it it, it harms people of like um, certain races. You know, there's and 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 just the the slaughter and the, the effect it's having mm-hmm. on our environment and the future generations. It just seems like kind of a crime to me. And mm-hmm. how do you? I mean, is it fair just to be like, well, I'm not going to judge you? Because I, I, I feel like completely hear you, and I completely agree that it seems like it's a crime. And here's the thing. We're all about getting the message across. And so how do you get the message across? If you come on strong to someone or if you tell them what they should do, boom, what happens? Defenses are up. They were not going to hear it, right? So it's keeping our eye on the ball. How do we get the message across? And I get it. As an advocate and and an activist, I'm traumatized by what I've seen happens to animals. I'm traumatized. And as a new vegan, you know, 16, 17 years ago, I wanted to shout from the rooftops. I wanted to scream at people. I wanted to hold pictures in front of people's faces like, do you see what you're eating? And then... You know, over time, you see what works and what doesn't work. And it's incredible how defensive the human psyche can be. So it's a matter of do we want to get the message through and what in what way is it going to work better? And that is in a way that we hold a non-judgmental stance and we open-heartedly talk to people, present information if they're curious, feed them, you know, be great examples, great ambassadors. And, um, and at the same time, the culture is changing. All these restaurants, all these products, things are coming in. But I totally hear you. Once you know, once you've seen things, it's really, really hard when people don't get it. But the question is, how do we get through? We get through with kindness. I think that's sort of the crux of the whole thing because I fail all the time where I get frustrated. I'm like, don't you understand? And then I'm like, I apologize for raising my voice. And it just, it's, it's, it's got to be, I think, attraction. You know, you've yeah. got to be like, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and you definitely uh, present in a way that, wow. Here's Kathy Preston. She's vegan. Okay. You want what she's having? Try it. Uh, Let's go, of course, uh, to Kimberly. Kimberly's on hold. Uh, Your question or thought, Kim? Hi. Thank you. Um, I so agree with you. I just want to shout sometimes. I'm coming up on seven years vegan, and uh, I just want to shout at people, but I know that that doesn't work. And there are a lot of animal rights vegan types out there that refuse to, to, you know, even be with their family when they're eating animals. And um, I was on the verge. I was going back and forth. It's getting harder and harder to to sit next to or near someone that's eating animals. But I recently kind of came up with a discovery that, you know, as you're saying, just set the example, be nice and show them what they could have. And I'm trying to move into that mode and, um, 
Meanwhile, yeah. I was besides that, I was wondering, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have a favorite movie for, like, young teens? I have two young daughters and mm-hmm. young adults, and, like, if I could get them together to watch a movie. Besides reading your wonderful book, which I look forward to buying Thank soon, you. Um, do you have a movie that you would recommend? Book. Get them the um, book, too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. The book is, is um, of course, um, I love Game Changers. I love that. I mean, uh, you know, Sea Spiracy just came out. That's specifically about seafood. But I think Game Changers is a great one for young people who care about their bodies, who care about being strong, fitting in, you know, being exemplary. I think that's a powerful uh, documentary to watch. You know, it's, it's a balance. Um, I think it's kind of like good cop, bad cop. Mm-hmm. Um, what we try to do on Jane Unchained is uh, show some footage and then just when you think that person's going to turn it off, mm-hmm. pull it back mm-hmm. because um, it is traumatizing. I've had people say to me, I, I have PTSD. I don't want to watch this. I don't want, but then they continue to eat animals. Yeah. So I also will say not to get too in the weeds about this one topic, because it is a vortex. This is what vegans spend most of their time discussing. What's the strategy? I think that it's multi-determined. Different people respond differently. Mm -hmm. I went vegan. I wish I had my exact date, but it was about 23 years ago when Howard Lyman, the fourth generation cattle rancher, walked in to the newsroom where I was a news anchor. I interviewed him. He had just been uh, on Oprah and they had revealed the secrets and there was a lawsuit. It was, he was really in the news at that moment. And afterwards, he and his publicist came up to my cubicle and they said, we hear you're a vegetarian. I said, yes. They said, do you eat dairy? And I kind of hung my head because he had just explained all the horrors that the meat and dairy industry, uh, it's all part and parcel of the same exploitation. And I said, yes. And he and his publicist went like this, liquid meat, right at my nose, liquid meat. I went vegan at that second. That's wow. the second I went vegan. So the 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 conundrum is, mm-hmm. yeah, don't shame people. I was shamed to be, if they had said, well, we really think that maybe you should try giving up dairy because yeah. it might not have hit me. But when they put their finger, I, I want, and I, right. And I it's, never touched it's dairy like- again. Yeah, I think when people ask me, like, well, why are you vegan? I, um, I'll just say, personally, I, I made the connection between other animals being no different than my dog. And I couldn't imagine my dog going through the slaughterhouse line. Yeah. And so I just can't get my head around supporting an industry that would do that to a cow or a chicken or a pig. So for me, it just doesn't make sense. So I can say it in a way that they're getting the connection without seeing the horrible stuff. But you're right. It's like, we got to talk about the horrible stuff, but we got to keep it compact enough so that it doesn't completely uh, drive someone away. I think what happens, Jane, is someone gets more curious For me, you know, when I was just, you know, I was like thinking, okay, I'm a writer and I'm talking about becoming more awake and aware and conscious in your life. Um, I got a pamphlet in the mail and on the pamphlet was a picture of a cow being dragged to slaughter. And it did like shock me. It was like, whoa, you know, wait, what, what is that? And I put it away. Okay. So I didn't do anything at that second, but it entered my mind so that the next thing, you know, when I heard the V word or I looked at my dog, it was in there. It made it introduction. You know, I didn't have to stay with it. And then I started thinking about other things. And when I was ready, I started to go online and do a deep dive and started watching videos and reading books and stuff like that. So it was a process. So there, there is often that introduction, like, you know, for you, it was that liquid meat thing. For me, it was that pamphlet of seeing a cow being dragged to slaughter. It was like, and that was just a picture, you know, it was just a picture, one picture, it wasn't even video, but it was enough to jar my awareness. And so then I went further. So once again, we're talking to Kathy Preston. She is so prolific. Nine books, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> this latest one. Oh, and you can read it upside down. You can hang on a tree because they always say we're tree huggers and they visualize vegans. It's hanging upside down on a tree. You can read it upside down. But here you go. 72 Reasons to be Vegan. It's a great book because it's so compact. 
you know, uh, and it has, it covers everything. And so I like the, we aren't lions chapter because yeah. one of the arguments when people are coming up with their justifications, well, we're carnivores, the caveman. One of the things that I like to say is, and I read this in the, I don't know, one of the main newspapers is that they found a very, very, very old skeleton, one of the earliest. And of course they didn't have dental floss in those days and they checked and it was plant-based between the teeth. Yeah. In other words, they the concept of the caveman just eating meat is a complete falsehood. Game Changers talked about that with the gladiators being almost entirely plant-based. And I've yeah. just been watching a documentary, a, a course about ancient Rome. And the primary meals is... Um, grapes, wheat, and olives. This mm -hmm. is what they primarily consumed. Oh, my, yeah. that was it. Uh, meat throughout history has been a garnish, mm -hmm. a uh, a treat, as someone would eat chocolate. Imagine yeah. if we had a society where people were eating chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're saying, "Well, this is how we did it because they ate chocolate in the old days." Yeah. Oh, well, they didn't eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the same kind of concept. So. You're in touch with so many uh, key figures in this movement. Um, you work with the Good Food Institute, which is a hugely strategic, brilliant mm -hmm. uh, institution. Yeah, it's a think tank. Mm -hmm. And boy, do they think. And, <laughs> and you work with so many other organizations. Where do you see us? Because we are racing towards extinction. We uh, The clock is ticking, as I said in my documentary, Countdown to Year Zero, which is on Amazon. Um, we've got only less than a decade left. I mean, we really have to transition. Mm -hmm. It's great when you wake up in the morning and you see a top restaurant in New York is going meatless, a top food um, blog is going meatless. But where are we? You're, you've got your finger yeah. on the pulse. Yeah, we are at a tipping point. That's where we are. And things are changing rapidly. I want to, you know, point to uh, back in the day when uh, horses were the chief um, mode of transportation. And in, in, in the city, let's say New York City, there was horse poop everywhere. There was urine. Um, these, you know, there was a horse. It was just like, a very, it was a mess. It was like, a, it was a mess for a lot of reasons. And then, then the engine was invented and oh, nearly overnight horse transportation disappeared because something more efficient uh, that would do better long-term was invented just like that. So people were no longer in horse and carriages. That was not a long transition. That did not happen over the course of a hundred years. That was very fast. So what's happening now is we are getting plant-based protein to be ubiquitous. First through things like Impossible and Beyond and Hungry Planet, and next through cultured meat. That is a game changer and it will happen very fast. We are right at a tipping point. We are right at a tipping point. Once the policies really open up in government and things begin to shift and allow for this, you know, new cultured meat, it is going to change because it doesn't make sense. Just like with the horses and all that, it doesn't make sense to run grains and vegetables through animals in order to get the protein because we're wasting nine tenths of those calories. We're wasting nine tenths of the food. It's like throwing all that stuff in the garbage and just harvesting what went into the animal for that for those calories it doesn't make sense and we're polluting the environment so now we've got on the rise really rapidly becoming ubiquitous these plant-based and cultured meat companies uh, really getting their prices down really becoming available cultured meat probably within five years um, it's a game changer and it will happen fast. So I do think we're at a tipping point. So what is your reaction to the biggest obstacles, which I see as the news media, which I was in for many years, advertiser-based news media? We're not talking, this conversation should be happening on a major cable news channel. It's not. 
they do not systematically do not cover this issue. And all you have to do is look at the advertisers. The advertisers are the meat, dairy and pharmaceutical industries that would suffer or have to change or have to change radically. So um, that is a a huge obstacle. That's the main reason I started uh, our nonprofit news media uh, Mm -hmm. outlet, Jane Unchained, was to get these stories out there in the ether. I have a firm belief that even if it's not seen by a million people, obviously our audience is a lot smaller than a cable news network, um, Mm -hmm. that you never know who you're going to hit. And you can hit somebody who can then affect huge change. And uh, and, uh, so I I feel that it... The news and TV reflects popular culture. They're, you know, they're driving it, yes, but what it's supposed to do, and largely it does, is reflect what's out there. So the culture is changing, and so media will begin to reflect that. At the same time, companies like Tyson, again, they're expanding what they have. They're becoming protein companies, right? That does not mean animal protein companies. It means protein. So the more that they are developing their own plant-based proteins, they're seeing that this stuff sells. I mean, plant-based milks, you know, they've exploded and dairy is like down the tubes. So when you've got major businesses, corporations who have their money behind plant-based stuff, that's going to change. The advertising is going to change and news will change as the culture changes and all of this stuff is bubbling to the surface now because we've got this intersection of awareness. You've got younger generations who are saying, what the heck? We are saddled with this planet that is going bonkers, you know, crazy storms, droughts, floods, climate change is happening. You know, we got to do something. So you've got the younger generation being aware and they are active and they want change because they are going to be the ones like left holding the bag, right? You've got, and then you've got the intersection of availability of non-animal protein. And so that is just going to explode. And we're right there. Let me ask you a couple of provocative questions. What about China? You you hear that they want to reduce their meat consumption, but you also hear, and that, I mean, the government has... Mm -hmm issued an edict, you also hear that a lot of the people who run the major factory farms in China are connected to the government. So there is that, um, I don't know if it's legal corruption, just like in the United States, it doesn't necessarily need to be legal corruption. It's more influence peddling with uh, lobbyists, et cetera. But where do you see China fitting in on this? Because I think they're not unlike us, Jane. I think we are all... that. All these countries are very similar, right? So we, ha- United States, we have some of the worst factory farms on the planet. It's horrible what's happening in there. So we can't point to China or any place else and say that they are worse than us. We have got, we, we are all, this is the culture. This is the time on the planet. The way we raise animals for food is all across the board horrible. But just like in the United States, China has its influencers. Um, There's a new product called Omnipork, which is fantastic. Omnipork, you know, the the Asians love pork. Um, It's in everything. Every, every dish is like got either some or a lot of pork and it's, it's, it's everywhere. And there's a, it's basically the uh, impossible foods of China. It's called Omnipork. It's fantastic. It tastes exactly like pork. I don't know. I haven't had pork in a long time. It tastes pretty darn good to me. But those things are happening all over the world. It's not, it's not just the United States. All right. Now, you are originally from Georgia. Yes. And, uh, so Georgia is, uh, well, it, I believe there's a lot more veganism in places where you wouldn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I don't know about Georgia. Um, it, it would be considered almost like ground zero for meat consumption in America. Uh, where where does that stand and how is the fact that you're from Georgia help you uh, spread the word to people who aren't already? Yeah. Uh, well, I understand wanting the things that you grew up with. I love chicken fried steak. I love uh, creamy mashed potatoes with gravy. I love, uh, you know, ribs, barbecue. I love all of that stuff. So I understand so I can speak into that and I don't reject my past. 
Um, I, I will tell you, I used to go out on hunts. I used to go pheasant hunting. I used to go fishing. So I think it's really important for us to sort of like own where we came from and own where we came from as consumers and as eaters. Like I used to eat everything. I did all this stuff. And now I'm a vegan activist. People change. I get it. I'm attached to my social uh, traditions. I'm attached to the way my family fed me, but I can still enjoy my traditions and go back home and be with my friends and love all the things that I grew up loving, but just having tweaked it so it doesn't include animal stuff. It's all plant-based stuff. I get it. And, you know, you said earlier that that question about where do you get your protein and it's like becomes sort of a joke. Um, it is kind of a joke, but at the same time, I take it very seriously when someone says, but where do you get your protein? I think we have to answer in, in ways that are like, I get it because I was concerned. When I went vegan, I was like, crap, where am I going to get my protein? I'm going to get all flabby. I'm going to gain weight from all those you know complex carbohydrates and I'll probably lose a decade off my life. So I want to, but, and it made me feel better about my choice to know that I would actually trim down, get stronger, sleep better, my skin would feel better, that protein comes from grains and beans and nuts and seeds, and it's in everything. And, you know, one cup of lentils is 17 grams of protein, one egg is only six grams. When people hear this stuff, it's like, oh, okay, good. I'm covered. That's good. I think we take seriously what people are tied to and we, we speak into it. And you can get all of this in the new book by Kathy Freston and Jean Stone, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. It's really a great book to have to have those arguments. Because uh, sometimes you get an argument with somebody and they go, but by the protein, you go, hold on a second. Let me uh, look here and, and come up with that statistic. Um, one of the things that I noticed, because I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't know about you, but I've been ridiculed. I've been uh, called crazy. Uh, then when the Beyond Meat IPO was the most successful initial public offering since the 2008 financial crisis, a lot of people who had dismissed me and literally I've had people go, ha, <laughs> like that. That's a direct reenactment. <sighs> Suddenly they're like, hey, that Beyond Meat, huh? It was almost like because the stock was successful, the food tasted better or the food yeah. was more edible. Yeah. Where do you see that intersection? Because we're reading just today, I read about another huge vegan uh, dairy uh, dairy alternative going public soon. Yeah. Uh, it's happening. As these companies go public, what is the impact of that? Well, it's 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 talking about influencers, it's saying to the culture, it's here, it's serious, we're betting on it, big money is betting on it, that means it is, the, it is real and it's good and, and uh, it's worth betting on. And I think that we are, by our nature, we're social creatures and we watch each other and we see like, oh, is, is he doing it, is she doing it? You know. And so we see big business investing, we're like, oh, okay, this is happening. This is not just a fringe thing, this is not, not just like these serious business is moving this forward. Okay, I'm going to take it seriously. So we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, maybe your final thoughts. Obviously, I think this is a great book because I'll, I'll fess up. I'm not reading giant books. We're <laughs> in a different era today where that that is just something that I think we should do. I listen on Audible and I heard a clip from your Audible. So I'm also going to download it on Audible because I walk daily to get my exercise in and mm -hmm. I listen to Audible while I walk so I can use the time wisely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I would love to listen to your book and get some of those facts in my brain. So then when somebody says, well, where do you get your protein? I can hit them back with, well, you know, lentils. <laughs> That's uh, what, was the, what was the fact again about lentils? Uh, one cup of lentils has 17 grams of protein and one egg only has six. And if you're having a lentil soup, you're probably having three cups of lentils. Plus you're getting all that fiber and minerals and vitamins that you're not getting from an egg. And with there an egg, you get all the saturated fat and cholesterol. Yeah. And um, so I just think this is absolutely extraordinary. As we have literally a minute or two, um, what are your final thoughts? 
I know you say we're at the tipping point. Let's mm-hmm. just talk to vegans for a second. What can vegans do? First of all, I want to tell all vegans, stop the infighting. Enough. If you, I say in my website, if, if, if you have a problem with somebody else, call mm-hmm. the police, call a lawyer. Don't get me involved. I, I don't, I won't, I don't want to, we can sit here debating till the end of time. We're racing yep. toward extinction. You do it one way. They do it another way. You do your thing. You yeah. don't have to say that their thing is bad, but beyond that, what can vegans do to accelerate this? So we're not just preaching to each other. Mm-hmm. Encourage progress, not perfection. Really, it is everything. If someone knows that there's an open door and they can take their time and do it their way, I think for the most part, people are curious. They see something's happening. They know that they want to change certain things in their personal life or they want to have an effect in the world. Give people an open door and uh, they will find their way. So progress, not perfection. And what's next for Kathy Freston? I know you're promoting this book. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's on the horizon uh, next? Not that this isn't enough. This is yeah. more than enough. I'm a vegan advocate. So I, you know, I'm always like looking around for the, for the best way to uh, get the message across. And right now I'm just promoting this book and uh, we'll, I don't know what comes next. Oh, wow. How exciting. I have many visions for you. <laughs> I think you're one of the best if Thank not you. the best spokesperson for veganism on the planet. Oh and no, I do because you. um, you're, the way you, the way you send the message is so upbeat mm. and reassuring. And it, it just sort of weaves in whatever your traditions are. People are constantly citing their traditions, their ethnicity, their all these things that are irrelevant saying that, that that's why they have to keep eating animals. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. That's a fairy tale. Throughout time have shifted. Traditions always change. I mean, there's, there's a core that, you know, we, we, we include that core, but we transcend, transcend and include. So traditions change. We tweak them as we go on and tradition is changing now. Uh, I am just so, so excited to talk to you, uh, you really um, give me hope because sometimes, you know, you read about something in the news and you go, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming Mm -hmm. because we're dealing with a very big problem. Mm -hmm. And I love your approach because you are just Moving forward systematically with optimism, strategically, and I just hope, I would like to give this to everybody I know uh, who is pre-vegan, I don't even say not vegan, and also to vegans so they have those arguments at their fingertips. Kathy Freston, New York Times bestselling author, TEDx talker, I am so honored to have you on our Voice America Facebook. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for all you do. I'm sure be back for your next project as well. (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 